Hello, Internet! My name is Walter C.A.D. Spedchuk, and welcome back to another fantastic edition of the Final Cut Podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Um, man, I, re I really don't have a good intro for this. Uh, we ended the last episode letting you all know that we are going to space, and to space we indeed went, and we have now returned with our thoughts on space... And I can think of uh, no one else that I'd rather talk about our adventure into space with than my good friend and podcast co-host, Chase Redshirt King Wassener. Chase, how did you enjoy space? You know, space is cool. I think that's safe to say, uh, is that it's neat and fun and a lot of it. Just so much space. You just look up there and there's just, it just keeps on going. Um, but in all seriousness, the, the, it was, it was cool to get a sci-fi epic on the big screen in a way that Dune was getting this kind of premiere attention after so many Jupiter ascendings over the last few years, like I've been waiting and ready for a sci-fi series, uh, that isn't Star Wars or Marvel that can capture the epicness that sci-fi is capable of on the big screen. And with uh, Villeneuve uh, at the director's helm, uh, Dune promises, promised to be that. Uh, and I can say, uh, for with all the confidence that I have, that it was indeed a lot of space. We sure were in space. Uh, it, was, it was all the spacey things uh, that people get excited for um there was a whole movie around that and i am curious to see where you ended up on it because i found myself a little bit on the outside looking in when looking at the film discourse which has been more universally positive than just about any film that i can think of in recent memory like everyone on social media is positive about this film all of the film doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on what kind of film critic versus, you know, someone who's just a casual fan. It has been the most positive discourse I have seen around a film in a very long time. And spoiler alert, I am not going to have the most positive take on this particular film. I have frustrations. Uh, but where did you end up on it? Because you've kept this under wraps for me. I have no idea uh, what we're in for. Well, before we get to my opinions on this, I just want to say uh, I, I want to feel offended for Chris Pine and Zachary Quintino, um, just because how dare you forget Star Trek when listing how you don't want any of these like series that have been around for a while. Um, but yes, I watched this <laughs> on, a, uh, on a Saturday night after work with my girlfriend. I did not watch it in theaters. I watched it on... Uh, on HBO Max, not sponsored. Um, just because I really didn't feel like going to the theater that night. I just kind of wanted to stay in. And uh, Chase, you're in luck. There are now two turkeys at Thanksgiving dinner that are not happy with how things went. Hey. I bleeping hated this movie. <laughs> I This movie was worse than Black Widow. I really disliked this movie to the point where my, my girlfriend can understand what I'm not enjoying myself. And even I can like, 
like I've picked up when I'm not enjoying myself. Uh, Sunday during the Bills game, I was not enjoying myself in the first half. I was fidgeting a lot. I was looking at my phone. I was like crossing my arms, crossing my legs. I couldn't get comfortable. And that was exactly what was going on the night before when I was watching this movie. And finally, with like 50 minutes left in the thing, I finally paused it and just went, oh my God, I can't take it anymore. I have to stand up. I need to go get water. I need to use the, the bathroom. I need to do anything other than stare at this screen because I am so bleeping bored. It was a long film. It was oh a long Oh my God. The official runtime is 156 minutes. I'm honestly surprised that it was only over two and a half hours because that first act in particular, it just keeps on fucking going. And I look, I am sure there are a lot of sci-fi heads, especially people who really enjoyed Dune who were like, Oh, I appreciate the slower pace. We're getting a sense of atmosphere. We're taking in the spectacle of the visuals and the visuals are by and large gorgeous. No one, I, I don't think, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time knocking Villeneuve's uh, kind of style here. But God, they just spend so much time on things that as far as this film is concerned, do not matter. It, they're entirely irrelevant to the plot of the film. They are there purely to add flavor and to set up a second film that at the time I watched this film had not been guaranteed yet. There was a non-zero chance that we were just going to get this part one and it was going to be over. Uh, so I guess from that perspective, I'm at least glad that there is a part two coming. Cause like, I'm not, maybe it'll matter, but like, fuck man, this was hard. I, I would need to see for a part two. I would need to see a trailer that basically gives me like a Helm's deep style battle for me to even consider, like, even consider seeing part two. That's how much I dislike this film. And yes, the visuals, uh, Villeneuve's style, it's gorgeous. It is gorgeous to watch. And other than some of the, like, lighting changes between the dream sequences and the non-dream sequences, which I know are entirely stylistic on purpose, but, like, other than that little nitpick, it was a gorgeous movie to watch. I don't want any of my criticism to to encompass anything about the art of the movie. Everything was well shot. Even, you know, watching it on my TV, I thought all the audio mixing was great. Everything was wonderful from like a technical design standpoint of a movie. It was just everything else that sucked. Yeah, you know, look, Greg Frazier on cinematography, Hans Zimmer on the music, uh, Villanueva with the direct, like the three of you, can leave this podcast now. You did good work on what it is that you were trying to Enjoy do. Enjoy your Oscar nomination. It, the Hans Zimmer will win. It'll be fantastic. You're, you are, they are going to get a lot of visual design nods, and it'll be very hard to argue that they shouldn't. And then there's a very non-zero chance that this is going to get some best picture nods, which is going to be infuriating. Because this is not a complete film. It's just not. It is. It is very clearly labeled as part one. And that's fine. We can have multi-part things. One, you should probably have it locked in that there's going to be a part two before making part one or else you look very silly if it doesn't work out, which, again, pet peeve of mine, but fine. 
Um, but two, the parts have to stand as a whole. And I feel like the best argument you can make for this film is that when you combine it together with whatever is coming, according to the people who uh, really enjoy the original property and who appreciate the atmosphere of this film, maybe there is a cohesive whole to be found. But it is not a cohesive film from start to finish. The script is a, is a pacing nightmare. Um, I don't know how else to put it. It's a nightmare. It takes so fucking long for anything to happen. And I'm not one of those like cavemen people who just needs to have constant action or have some crazy plot twist thrown at me all the time in order to be engaged. There are slow films that I enjoy. This was a glacier <laughs> for the first hour and a half. I, man. <laughs> so the entire time until I until I finally paused the movie and was like I have to get up which like I said was was you know I had like an hour just under an hour 45 minutes left in the movie before I finally got to that point the entire time I'm going okay I have never watched the I never watched the original Dune I never read the books Chase I know you and I have discussed this you haven't either so I'm coming into this completely blind so I'm like okay so pacing wise I need to give this the Fellowship of the Rings treatment. I need to let them introduce me to the characters, introduce me to the motivations, and I understand that that all takes time. But like you said earlier, the things that they spent time on developing didn't end up mattering. Why did we have that scene where Paul and, uh, and Duncan... Or Gurney, why did we have that scene where they duked it out? Like, what was the point of that scene? If anything, it made me want to know more about Gurney. Yeah. And there, there's there's two sins to me that a movie can commit. There's two of them. One, you bore me. And you don't, like, there's nothing to tie me in, nothing to pull me in. And two, the things that don't bore me, you get rid of. And I was so much more invested in, in Oscar Isaac's character and in Josh Brolin playing Gurney and uh, Jason Momoa playing Duncan than any other character in that entire movie. And spoiler alert, all three of them bleeping die. <laughs> like, yeah. But, but does- so they, they give me that scene, but then they give us the scene with the, the, the priest mother or the mother or whatever. And it's like, okay, cool. This is interesting. This has to go somewhere, right? Like, they wouldn't be introducing this woman in the box and the potential magical powers thing if it wasn't going to do something, right? It has to, right? Right? And and then they're like, oh, well, maybe Paul's the one, or maybe he's not. And I'm like, what do you mean? Yes. What are you talking about? Those are the two options, I suppose. But, like, come on. And that's like... Whatever, maybe we'll uncover it in the rest of the film, but the film is so inconsistent, and I'm sure there are going to be people, again, neither of us have read the book, so if part two makes this make sense, I, I, I will be honest, don't care. Because in this film, the rules of whether his powers to see the future are real or are symbolically real but not actually what happens or are potential futures that can be avoided entirely unclear. Seems to change from scene to scene. 
There are some scenes that we see play out exactly as he dreamed it. And like clearly he knows enough details where like something is happening. But then we have that fight towards the end with the uh, uh, with the local guy uh, who decides to call him out. And it's like, well, you have to die here. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what the thing says. Don't be afraid because it's going to work out. And he wins the fight and everything just continues. And that's... Fine, oh, I guess. Oh, here, here's what you're missing, Chase. It's not that he has to die. It's that his innocent, chi- his innocent childlike nature needs to die. But, but then everything else is so, like, like Zendaya exists, right? Like, all of those visions are true. So what's the difference? How are we supposed to know which ones we're meant to take literally and which ones we're not? Um... <laughs> magic? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I you're right. Like I don't know. <laughs> I I oh man. I I guess like there's so many people. I try to wrap my head around why people love it as much as they do. And I do like the visual design. Like I get it. I guess like if you want to abstract it and say that symbolically it doesn't matter because maybe fate doesn't matter or maybe fate totally matters and avoiding this one thing doesn't change how the story ultimately goes if you told a cohesive complete story in part one then it wouldn't be so up in the air to a point where it is frustrating and that would be like i found it at a certain point of time to be less about world building and you know creating interesting hooks to be developed in the future and more of a so are you gonna tell me how this works or not do i get to know and be on board or is this something that only the people who read the books get to know and i will find out when you decide to tell me if you ever do um and again chase (sighs) can you give me a synopsis of that movie sure uh so we got our, our Timothy Chalamet boy, who's fine, I guess. He's figuring life out, and he's like, I want to go out on an adventure and protect my friend. And they're like, no, you can't do that. And so you would think, being a movie, and that being a call to action, that he would get in trouble. Like, he would sneak away, right? Like, he would pursue the adventure, and then the movie would be about that. But no, he actually follows orders and stays around for like five or six weeks, learning some basic details about like what it means to be a leader, except not really. Um, and then they end up going to the planet and they learn a lot about like the details of how things work. And they basically all agree that it's not good, but there are varying degrees of, but it's fine though, depending on who you ask. Um, which weirdly enough would have been one of the places where like, I guess Timothy Chalamet's character could have been, interesting like when he has him speak up being like hey the way we handle these locals are bad if that applied to like anything else that he proposes at any other point in the film that could have been a really cool character point but either way that happens there's a science lady who teaches them about the science and how it's not going well and once they realize that they're fucked the people who got kicked out before uh give them the giant middle finger with a whole bunch of explosions and basically everyone dies except our main character and his mom who go and meet some desert people. And they're going to, it's only the beginning as it says. And I swear to God, I, I lost it. Uh, that last line 
when uh, they they look back. I forget who, whose character it was. I believe it was Zendaya, but it may have been one of the uh, the the other locals who like turns around and says, "This is only the beginning." And I thought to myself. God, how cheesy and dumb would it be if this was the last line of the film? And then the film ended. And I'm like, oh no. Um, it was it was Zendaya. It was Zendaya. It was Zendaya. Because I went, oh no, this is what you used her for. You, oh no. You no. You deserve better than this. You spent <laughs> so much time for her to show up only at the very end of the film. And that's I don't know. Does that that covered it, right? Like, like, there's no way what I explained should take two hours and thirty plus minutes. By the way, that is not two hours and thirty minutes of content. I would, I would think. But like, am I missing anything important? I feel like a lot I, of things turned out weren't that important. Probably could have been cut. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I can give you a more succinct one. Um. Uh, Scottish allegory house invades uh, Jerusalem allegory planet. Uh, all of them are killed uh, because they want to work with the locals instead of uh, subject and enslave all the locals. Uh, son, uh, remaining son of house decides, hey, maybe I should enslave the locals to get revenge and become emperor of space. Yeah, I don't does he even get a revenge angle at the end? Is there even, like... He wants to be fucking emperor! He did bring up being emperor. That's true. But it, like... All of a sudden, he's just like, I don't just want revenge. I want to be emperor of space. Well, because, Like, yeah, where did that come from? The emperor of all of space. A job that, one, exists. Which is wild when you consider, like, how anything political works in, like, practicality. The idea of a singular space emperor is just comical in that context. Can you tell I hated Paul as a character? He's not great. And like, ah, man, like, here's the thing. I have heard the one thing I do understand from the book is that the book does a better job of identifying that the House of Atreides is being screwed over from the very beginning. Like, in the film, it's kind of hinted that like, oh, well, this is our job and we have to answer. Um... But, like, it, you never really get more into it than that. It's, like, it's kind of proposed to our main character as, like, part of growing up is accepting responsibility. And part of responsibility is being willing to help these greater causes that our people serve. Like, it's it's framed that way. Whereas in the book, my understanding, now that my roommate is reading it, is that it's very clear from minute one that the Atreides are fucked, that this is a suicide mission and that they are being set up for failure. And there's a fatalist ain't... Like, if you're... If you're trying to make this about fate, right? Which is, I think, what the film is trying to play around with, right? Questioning one's fate. How do the fates of different peoples interact with each other? Um, what does it mean to be destined for a thing? And, and what does it mean to, you know, the difference between responsibilities and realities? Like, if you're going to do that, then I guess, I don't know. There, there are so many better ways of, of setting up this hopelessness angle to it, right? You know, start with Atreides maybe 
before they get the order rather than having it start exactly on it. Don't, you know, cut out that six weeks where they're just hanging out on planet because his dad says, no, you can't go right away. And or at the very least, make that time time in which maybe he sees his dad falter because his dad realizes that uh, everything's fucked. Um, but he doesn't want his kid to realize that, so he like tries to cover it up. Like there's so many angles you could go into and ways you could approach some of these themes. Um, but Chase, yeah, why is House Atreides given a suicide mission? Well, that part, that part is explained within the film. Theoretically, they've just gotten too powerful because. Things that happened off screen. Don't worry about that. That was not explained. But they're 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 getting too strong for the emperor, and the emperor likes his subjects to be weaker, and so they need to be knocked that, down. Then show me that. Show me any example of that, other yeah. than just like their sworn enemies being like, "Well, you know, that house has gotten too powerful." Just like any, literally, it could just be like, just show me a an, an empire council meeting. Where House Atreides just like makes some little like comment. Show like, us the show me a flashback. Show me a flashback of Leto being like, "Hey, maybe we should stop having the the hus- whatever their names are uh, exploit these people, and I have a better way to do it." And have like a bunch of people on the council like agree with him, and then have the Emperor be like, "Oh, so be it. Do it then." Like, there's no proof. There's zero proof. And then they just get completely destroyed. So, like, why am I supposed to believe that this house is super, super powerful and super strong? The only person that ever puts up, like, a real fight in the entire movie is Duncan. And he better put up a fight. It's goddamn Jason Momoa. Like, I I just... mm, No one's motivations are ever explained. It's just, like, things happen. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of it. And if we want to talk about the fate thing, fine. So be it. But I can name you two movies that also kind of center around a planet full of sand that do it better. And they're George Lucas movies. Yeah. I, the Harkonnen family does not matter outside of the fact that they're the ones who drop the bombs. They are stand-ins for the Emperor when you could have just given us, I don't know, the Emperor. But I don't, maybe there's a twist that the Emperor isn't real or some shit. I mean, I don't fucking know. I haven't read the books. I don't know what they're trying to hide with that. But certainly what we get is a house that we're not connected to wants to take out a house that we are theoretically connected to. And then two hours later, they finally do it. Um, and I gotta say... Uh, House Atreides, I don't know how they're uh, kind of described in the book, but I have to say in general, when you see masses of military groups that just chant the same thing over and over and over again, those are rarely the good guys, right? Like, that's some fast shit right there. And I'm not saying that that was 100% intentional. I'm not sure, but... but because there's a lot of the symbolism here that I feel like it's a little mixed up, but, like, you have this kind of the 
just these legions of soldiers at House Atreides who just count Atreides, Atreides, Atreides. And it's like, you are not the good guys, right? Like, I thought that was the twist we were initially setting up for is like, oh, these guys are bad and we're going to find out that his dad's actually a bad guy and we're going to have to decide he's going to have to rise up and be like, no, there's a better way, dad. And that would have made sense. But no, actually, they're, they are the good guys. You're never meant to question that. Um, it's just... Uh, apparently the good guys have militaries that all chant in unison. Uh, unison. Um, that's well, fine. That's to be fair, the, the Emperor's army or whatever does the same thing and they all sound like Pokemon. Yeah, they're all fucking fashy. Sakandian or whatever they are. Like, Sure. It, and like, is the military-industrial complex bad? Is the idea of taking the military-industrial complex to space, like, is that what they're going there? It doesn't... It never fleshes itself out because you never get any nuance when it comes to the Atreides use of the military because it's always positioned as well we're trying to be better than the last people there's not a you know the moments we get in which like theoretically there is a discrepancy between who the house of Atreides are and who they say to be it's like an offhanded comment in a council meeting that is never really followed up on and we're kind of told that this disagreement exists between Paul and his dad, and we're not... It, it just... Ugh. It's... I don't know, man. I, I, I do, like... If there's one theme that is done, I guess, well, uh, the environmentalist stuff has to be there, right? The idea yes. that we cannot uh, just endlessly... Uh, profit off of these valuable resources until there is nothing but desert remaining because of what that does to an ecosystem uh, and how that decision has made things worse for everybody involved, including the occupiers. Like that, I think, was well-established, relatively well-executed, and remains consistent throughout the film. Everything else just felt like a muddy mess to me, you know? Just, yeah, I mean, so I know the, the whole, like, a part of the discussion, if we want to stay on fate, because I do think the whole, like, family lineage kind of bloodline thing um, is interesting. And the discussion of Paul being like, I don't want to lead, I don't want to be the head of the family. And I will say that that scene where... Paul and, and the Duke are talking in, like, the graveyard, you know, about his grandfather and about the ring and about how the Duke actually had wanted to be a pilot. And then I will say there was some continuity. The Duke, like, piloted an ornithopter later. That was cool. That was something that was, you know, missing from, like, Black Widow, which, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm going to go. I have too many Black Widow comparisons in my head about missing <laughs> and terrible script and all that jazz. <laughs> but, like. You had some continuity there. And that scene I actually do think was very important because it does establish Paul as someone that wants nothing to do with the throne. He wants nothing to do with power. He just, like, wants to learn, and I get it. He's still young. He's still a kid. And that's why it makes it all the more baffling when, like, an hour and a half later, he's like, I want to be emperor of space now. Is like, really? Like, seeing your entire like family and house and all your friends die like you don't go to like you don't continue to be a scared little kid that doesn't want to take the reins you get the ring and you're immediately like i am now the progenitor of house atreus 
and I am going to get revenge for my father and my friends and become emperor of space. It's like nothing happened in that hour and a half to make me believe you made that character change other than that's what the script writer wanted to happen. I, maybe I'm missing something, but it felt like there was no character growth for him to do that. Well, the thing that's frustrating, right? And I, I feel the same way about uh, this as I do the call to action where he says that he really wants to go and his dad says, no, he should stay here and attend more meetings. And then he actually does just attend more meetings. Like, you could have set up this idea of like, the, you know, we've seen this done plenty of times before, right? The dad is like, oh, I have all these expectations for you, son. And the son's like, but what if I don't fulfill those? And the dad says, oh, but you will. Don't worry about it. And then the kid has to be like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to or not. And then, and then the kid sneaks aboard the ship and goes with the vet, the early team anyways. Sure. Yeah, that would be the that would be the way I would do it as a film. Um because it's the way that films tend to work. But if you wanted to subvert expectations and have him wait or whatever, fine. But you still, like... Then the arc needs to be set so that, like... Like, his dad says no, and maybe that frustrates Paul. And there's a divide there, right? They're, they're uh, con- conflicting with each other, and it causes uh, a distance so that when his dad dies, it's like oh no, we'd been fighting about this whole thing when really that was, you know, now he's not here anymore and I have to step up. Like, that would have been fine too, right? But from minute one, his dad's like, eh, don't worry about it. You're, you're, my, you're my son. No matter what happens, you're my son. I don't care what it is that you do. And so him taking this on is not either an acceptance of a responsibility once forsaken or a, an ability to resolve an inner conflict or even an outer conflict with his dad that had previously been unable to be resolved. It's, I was told I could be anything I wanted, and now that my dad is dead and everything's screwed up for my family, I want to be Space Emperor, uh, which is <laughs> such, like... It's silly. It, you, it's silly. And even that, you could try to, like, there's a version of this film in which, like, he looks at, like, the locals because he meets them maybe a little earlier, right? And he's like, oh, these people need protection. And no one else is going to. So if no one else is willing to do it, I will be Space Emperor. But they didn't do that. They just have... Ugh. God. Yeah, they, they didn't do the John Smith or the Jane from Tarzan of, like, interaction with the locals, except that one scene where he talks to uh, the guy who's watering the, the palm trees. Yeah, but that's that, not, like, that motherfucker, which symbolically, again, is, is, is a bit of a mess. Because environmentally, right, like, that's a terrible waste, and we're told, oh, but it's holy, so is this, like, religion is bad? Or is this that uh, man's desire to defy the laws of nature by forcing a plant to grow where it shouldn't is bad? Or are we supposed to have symbols that we can hold on to that that matter that can be cultivated and thus when they burn later we should feel sad about that? I don't know. Does the... I don't know either, Chase. I thought it was just like... I thought that was supposed to be one of those things of like... That discussion to me 
feels like a, you know, yeah, it would make sense and it would save people's lives if we didn't, you know, water these things. But sometimes faith, you can't explain it. You just have to let faith be faith and believe in it. And if the people are willing to sacrifice for this image, for this uh, for this idol of faith, then who are we to impede upon that? Which I'm sure could become something very interesting down the road if they continue to go with this Messiah thing for Paul and that he's going to be this symbol and this, uh, you know, uh, this godlike character to the the um the fremen yes um you can tell how much i dislike the movie because i can't even be i can't even be asked to remember simple things like that that that's how bad it was and how much like i just don't care anymore like i don't care about part two i will not watch part two when it comes out unless i see something like crazy in trailers that really convinces me otherwise but that's that's neither here nor there. Chase, before we talk about the acting, I do want to I do want to sm- sprinkle a little bit more good back in here. So let us actually talk about like some of the world building because they did make the planet feel it felt like a planet. Yeah, look, I mean, because I, I do try to look at this like because the discourse is so positive. I I have never seen film Twitter rally around a film the same way they have around this one. And so I have to imagine that a lot of it is that it is willing to take in the little things that make a world real, right? Like, from a practical plot perspective, there isn't much of a reason for, uh, you know, a, some, some of the overhead shots we got, you know, like taking in like certain aspects of how people work uh, in the fields and whatnot. Like, not all of those moments were necessarily plot important, but they all added details that made the world seem lived in. It felt like a world that could exist. It felt like a world that operated on rules that you could easily understand and that you could imagine. Like, like it, it works. And I think that some of the stuff that I found slow and less interesting might mean a lot to people who look at sci-fi as a chance to get immersed into a world and in like, ooh, I, you know, what if I was there or like, what would it be like to be there or whatever? Like this film is very happy to answer all of those questions. Um, questions about like the specifics of how the suit works to be able to keep moisturizer in and and keep people like all of these little details are nice touches individually that go to recreate what i imagine are details that anyone who has read the books would be able to instantly recognize like yep that sure is this planet that sure is what the Fremen do. That sure is, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I think that from that angle, that seems to be where a lot of priority was taking place. That seems to be a lot of the, the visuals of absorbing these shots and seeing the way that the sand moves and, and all of this. Um, I think 
those can be positives. And whether you get as much out of them, uh, or I should say whether you get more out of them than I did, because I didn't particularly care for this film, as has been made clear by this point, I, uh, I, I do think uh, how much you enjoy that side of things will really carry you a long way. Because it's there. The minutiae is there. And for Dune fans, if you read the book, I imagine this film was pretty satisfying because they made a lot of effort to not cut things out of the book. Uh, this is, by the way, we're two-thirds through the first book in the series because of this movie. The, last, the second movie, part two, will cover the last third of the book. So... I, th I think that's really like, if I, if I were to dissect how we got here, I think that the directors looked at it and said, well, just like the book, we've got all these moving pieces we need to set up. Let's set them up here in act one, and then we'll get to them as they come up, which is kind of why I look at part two is like, wow, you guys really didn't have that set up, huh? You didn't have that uh, approved and, and ready to go? Because... This is a lot of setup for things that you're not sure you're ever going to cover. Um, but I'm already trying to turn a negative. I, this was trying to be the section of positive things. I'm sorry. That's kind of the problem with it. Because saying, oh, there's pretty scenery and oh, it's nice that I have details that I can pull into my own, uh, you know, space opera tabletop game of like, oh, this is how people survive on a desert planet. The, like, the, the tabletop it, it RPG would be fun, right? Like, I yeah, left the movie right. thinking I would play a tabletop RPG set in Dune. It's a shame I didn't like the movie. Like, that, that both, that duality is, right. I think you're, you're nailing it. So when you're trying to introduce an audience, especially a first time to the property audience, like you're, you know, us two, to me, I go, cool. I like all the background stuff, but what is sucking me into the setting? What is sucking me into the world? And that's usually the characters, the story, the plot. How does everything bounce off of each other? Yes, as much as it's like you give me all this detail and I'm like, oh, well, like that's how I can survive on, on Arrakis or whatever. Like, But I don't just want to be on the planet. I want to be immersed into the story. And that's where Dune, to me, falls so flat because at moments where they could give me detail into the story and into the interaction of all of these political families and their motives and their means and all this stuff moving around each other, they go, that stuff really isn't important. What's important is there's a, a, a mineral, there's spice on this planet that's got to get farmed, and two houses have differing views on how to do this, and we know if we sabotage the new house's ability to do it, they will fail, and then we can just kill them all because they're becoming too powerful, apparently, but we're not going to show you that they're powerful. We're just going to show you and tell you that they're powerful, but they, like, can't figure out how to make all this stuff work. If they really wanted to show me how powerful the Atreides family is, why didn't they show us, like, repairing all the damage? Why didn't they show us making that first shipment of, you know, however many crates they're supposed to send and figuring out how to do it? And there's some, like, emperor's accountant or whatever that's there that's like, oh, you sure there's the right amount of crates here? 
And like, give us that moment of them overcoming this obstacle and proving that they're too powerful for the Emperor to let live. Prove it at some point. You know, like I said, you could have built out the Duke and Duncan and Gurney a lot more. You could have had more interactions uh, where Stilgar comes in and negotiates a little bit more with the Duke to show that the Duke's way of thinking is working instead of just being like, yeah, they've been there for like a month and now we're going to go kill them all. Why? Or how about this? Have the House of Atreides either question... Uh, have have the Duke question his role within the greater space empire or have him want to be a challenge to the space emperor in ambitions such that we understand why the space emperor needs to strike him down. Because as far as this film is concerned, seems like a pretty loyal guy. And like, oh, the space emperor who you don't get to see is jealous is not a good reason for genocide, which is what the film, like, I like, ha, <sighs> and I... I Genocide maybe isn't the right word because I don't know how you determine race for like a house of Atreides. And I, I don't, you know, there's a part of me that's very like, I, this, this film makes me feel stupid a little bit because it's like, no, I like these pieces. I can, I can see bits of like how this might mean this or could mean that. And since everyone else is seeing all these positive things, maybe I'm just not seeing the path that puts all the pieces together in the right order. Um, I, but I, I just, I don't know that that's there. I don't feel stupid. I feel cheated. <laughs> I feel, you feel stupid because you, you're saying you see all the pieces and you can't figure out how they go together. I feel cheated because I see all the pieces and go, well, I'm missing all four corners. So how do I build this puzzle? Because <laughs> that's what it is. It's missing detail. It's missing motivations. It's missing living, likable characters at the end of it. We'll get to Paul in a second. Don't you worry. Yeah. But it, it's, it's missing parts to it to make an enjoyable experience. And I'm going to say something, again, kind of harkening back to our Black Widow podcast. You know how we said Black Widow definitely shouldn't have been like a 12-part series on Disney Plus? This, to me, absolutely should have been a 10-episode season on HBO. Yeah. Like, this should not have been a two-and-a-half-hour movie. This should have been like a 10-hour series. Which Because they are missing important details here that I I know I don't know what they are exactly, but I know they exist. Uh, this was something that has come up multiple times. Multiple people have tried to turn it into a series uh, and have all been waylaid at one point or another. Um, and the couple that tried to turn it into a single movie uh, all sucked. And I guess I understand not wanting to make the mistake. Like, if there's this much in part one, like, I can't imagine trying to fit all of this and a part two into a singular film. So I guess, fine. I, I, I just... <laughs> I, I don't... I don't understand why they chose to present this in the way that they did in the order that they did because 
as it stands, there are a lot of ways that I could see certain frustrations of mine being explained, but I now have to wait several years to find out if those explanations actually hold. And I don't find that interesting and I don't find that fun. I don't care for I it. mean, you can just be like me and not wait because you don't care coming out of this movie. And here's the thing. <laughs> I talked about sins movies can commit early on. And the first sin that I brought up is that it can be boring. Fine. A movie can be boring, but you can still get through it and still enjoy it. I, I talk about The Revenant being boring all the time, but I still enjoyed that movie. My problem with it is that I shouldn't have spent $30 to see it in a movie theater. I should have watched it at home on my couch and really enjoyed it. <laughs> the second sin, the second crucial sin to me is you don't have likable characters. And I swear to God... I want to put a bullet in the head of Paul Atreides and Lady <laughs> Jessica. I, I want to be I want to be Batista and just go boom boom everything's solved. Because at one moment, like when Paul is being angry and being like, I want to be the emperor. There's a holy like there's a holy war going on. When he's having that vision, I'm just like, oh shit, he's he's Nero, isn't he? Oh no, oh no. No, 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 no. I don't like this character. He was boring to start with and a little bit whiny, but you get, he's immature. He's a kid. I totally get that. And like the second it all flips and he's like, I want to be the emperor because a holy war is going to happen in my name. I was like, nope, I'm, I'm done. I want to kill you. Can we can we turn the movie into Duncan and, and, uh, and Zendaya's character? Like, I don't like you at all. I want you to die. Like, I want this ornithopter that they're trying to kill you. I just want someone to blow it out of the sky and give me a different movie at this point. Because that character, and, and Lady Jessica's no better, they are so unlikable. And that's where I pull out that whole, like, why am I supposed to feel sorry for the rich invaders getting their shit kicked in and, like, being forced into exile? Like, yeah. I don't care. Lady, You've accomplished nothing. Lady Jessica has done nothing to earn our empathy because she's just lied to people and hidden things from Paul about the nature of the actual magics that he's been taught and the nature of his actual power set. And, you know, so much of, of what she has done has been in the shadows uh, all to supposedly benefit him in ways that are incredibly unclear um, and, and maybe that's, but, but maybe she's meant to be unlikable, right? Like I could see a version of this in which like, oh, well, we're meant to keep her at a distance because she's kind of trying to twist her son in a certain direction. And yeah, she's a really realizes that maybe she's a really shitty version of Cersei from Game of Thrones. That see that implies intentionality in a way that I don't even think Lady Jessica got that far yet, right? Like Cersei <laughs> enjoyed being a bad guy. Lady Jessica <laughs> just seems to be like going around and being like, "Well, I sure hope that no one brings up this thing," and then they do, and they're like, "Oh, I'm sorry." It's like, okay, well, but like Paul, Whoops. Paul, I, man, I. I struggle with Timothy Chalamet in general. I think I, I tend to find a little bit monotonous, uh, a little bit like he never looks like he's a hundred percent engaged, which like, I understand there's a cool distance angle that some people find with it. I find it hard to connect with, honestly. Um, and it really feels like a lot of 
the confusion I have with the symbolism when it comes to faith and the chosen one and his powers and how all of this works could be could, could be wiped aside if there could at least be an understanding of whether or not he believes it. Does he believe he has superpowers? Does he believe he's the chosen one? Does he believe these visions matter? He's mad at his mom for teaching him this stuff, and he doesn't like the he has powers in general. That much is clear. But, like, does he genuinely believe he's the chosen one? Does he genuinely apparently, believe that he's going to become space emperor? He does, or is because he, he has a vision. But and it, then he's like, now I want to be emperor. But he ignores the visions later. So, like, why does he believe? Like, clearly, he has to believe that his fate is under his control because he saw exactly how that fight at the end of the film was supposed to play out and said, nah, fuck that. And at the, earlier on in the film, he brings up things like, I'm not that guy or whatever. And then people start calling him that guy for details that are kind of baffling, honestly. Like, there's the whole, oh, he knows our ways without ever having been there. But, like, we saw him look it up on a video, right? Like, he, it's not like he had no frame of reference. So are we meant to be, like, critical of that? Is that an aha? See, he doesn't actually have the powers. He's just someone who's, you know, studies right the right things and is able to shift in that direction except for all the times where it does and even if he was just expressing confusion about that or an unclear sense of like who am i where do i belong what am i supposed to believe in what do i believe in and what am i willing to do for it and i feel like the answer changes depending on what the script needs without timothy chalamet's portrayal changing at all i he feels very much like the exact same character he was at the start of the film except now some of his dreams have been proven right and he recognizes that there is a political advantage to claiming that yes i am the chosen one trust me and like if he if he is then this is another one of those sci-fi novels that has a chosen one thing which isn't my favorite but it's a thing and you know, we can criticize it on that line. If it's not, then he is a monster. And we should see that, and we should understand that this is someone who is abusing certain preconceptions in order to twist it to their advantage, which can also be compelling, right? You could have a villain-esque character who recognizes the power of prophecy and of faith and twists it to work for them, but we don't get that either. And so what we get is a pretty blank slate. And that's kind of Timothy Chalamet in general. I, I can't think of a role he's played that I've been particularly enamored with or felt that there was a huge amount of emotional depth such that you really saw... <sighs> so here's the thing. I'm trying to keep Chalamet and Ferguson separate from their characters because I mean like I, I don't know if either of them know how to smile because none of them like they don't have any emotion on their faces or in, in the like inflection in their voice or intonation of anything 
And despite that, I'm trying to separate the characters from the actors because I don't have, I don't think I've ever seen anything that Timothy Chalamet is in. And maybe just looking from the IMDb page, I've seen something Ferguson is in, but I'm not really sure. And I don't remember either of them from anything that I've watched. But yeah, like the character is so unlikable. There, There is nothing about Jessica Atreides that I like. Like, I don't care about her. And, yeah, the, the poor woman's uh, Cersei from Game of Thrones. and But, yeah, Paul is just so monotone. And there's no reaction to it. And I, I've said earlier, there's sort of, like, an immaturity there that I can... I can let go because at some point you are supposed to mature as part of the, the journey. You're supposed to get to the point where you're ready to take up the father the father's sword or the ring or whatever. And it just is so abrupt when Paul is like, Yup, now I'm now I'm the leader of House of Trade. Like he immediately puts the ring on. Like he gets it and he's just like, Yup, I'm gonna put the ring on. I'm now the, the Duke. Call me Duke now and and uh, and Duncan just immediately goes down on his knees and like, you're my new liege in a way that's just, I get it. You're friends. You've been with him since he was a child, like a baby. I understand, but there's no, no moment of conflict in all of a sudden I'm in charge. He's just, I'm in charge. And because I've had this vision where he talks about a holy war in his name. <laughs> like if I had, if I had that thought and, and that scene, I actually think is really good. I actually do think that is a good character moment because he is frightened. He is scared. He is screaming. He is sweating. He is yelling at, at, at you know, his mother, all of these things. And when he comes out of it, instead of like any child with a nightmare where you're trying to stay away from that feeling as long as possible, he comes out of it and goes, guess I better be emperor of space. And I know I'm hammering that point home and we brought it up like 10, 20 times at this point, but that's what happens. It's silly. It's dumb. No one would go from like, there's a holy war in my name to like, well, I guess that means I should be emperor of space. Well, it just, if it had been a conflict at any point before then, right, if his, if he had really fought with his dad about what his role was meant to be, or if he'd really fought with his mom about the type of training that she was giving him, or, you know, really wanted to separate herself, uh, himself from her once that, uh, the weird magical woman comes through and does that box test, which is creepy, but ultimately doesn't really go anywhere. Um, it's it, that whole scene. I was waiting for uh, it to get more interesting than it was. Um, though I'm, I, I know some people who really liked it. So um, mileage. Varied. I thought that was a good scene too. I just don't think there was any payoff. There, there can be no payoff to him putting on the ring because the only moment we get in which we would ever question that that's the thing he would obviously do is him at the very beginning saying, but dad, what if I don't want to? And he's like, well, that's fine. And that's not a conflict, right? It's not interesting to see him take that up. Now, what is interesting, he does reject originally that whole Messiah chosen one complex. And we see, you know, a lot of the reasons as to why that may kind of be a fallacy, as well as a couple reasons that maybe, who knows, he does seem to have these magic vision powers, but, like, 
the inconsistency of how those things work is matched by an inconsistency in how he views it. And we don't really get a moment in which he decides to embrace this because he has like a, a real spiritual faith moment. Like he doesn't lose his family and then turn to some spiritual being that is meant to be kind of whatever parallel, right? He doesn't try to seek out, you know, he doesn't go to his mom and be like, tell me everything about these magical people that you used to work for because we need their help or, or whatever, right? It's now it is advantageous for me. So I am going to use it. And that's a great villain if you wanted to play it with a more cynical route. But since they didn't, it just, it's just a thud. And you're, you're, you're right to do a better job of separating the art from the, the artist here in that uh, Timothy Chalamet has won multiple awards for his acting. So who am I to say that I don't care for his whole style because the couple films I've seen him I don't like. But it is one of those things where there is... Because the script is framed the way it is, we needed a lot of nuance in his portrayal. We really needed to show like the layers in which he is processing this chosen one angle and his visions and whether he believes they are true or not or what he thinks about fate or whatever. If you're not going to tell us, then you have to show us through your performance and his performance of Paul is too emotionally distant for us to ever get there. there. We're never let in to the real Paul. Only who Paul needs others to believe that he is. And again, maybe in the second film, they do a lot with that, right? Like... With all of these things, I can see angles. This is, I think, maybe the, the biggest difference between where you and I come down on this film, is that I can see angles in which what they chose to do works in the long run because of the few things I'm bouncing back and forth on, one of them emerges and it's like, oh, so there were pieces early and the other stuff was red herrings that fall away as we get more time and it comes together. Because that is what a book is supposed to do or a movie is supposed to do. And it's almost like if you split a book slightly over than uh, down the middle, because it was, I think, two-thirds of the way through from what I've been told. It turns out if you do that, then a lot of the symbolism that you're throwing out there might get a bit muddied might get a bit messy because the pieces that solidify it aren't there. And I'm not asking for a movie to spoon feed me stuff, right? Like we're not, you know, I, I wouldn't want every film to be like a straight up Shang-Chi in which like family is hammered over the head very hard. It's like, this is the theme. Do you get it? Do you get what we're saying here? Like, I don't need it all spoon-fed to me, but I need consistency and I need an ability to come away from it and feel like 
I understand what I watched. And I feel like the way this was framed and the way this was built, there was never a chance for that because we were never getting the full picture. And this movie does not stand alone as an individual film. It just doesn't, to me. Um, again, so popular. Cannot stress enough. Uh, 83% from critics on the tomato meter, 90% for audiences. Uh, it did get its second film now, so good for it. Um, I know it made uh, quite a bit at the box office and has been uh, the most pirated movie in the country ever since it came out because, of course, um, a lot of people like it. I, I just... I, Guys, I, you can get, like, a free week of HBO now. Like, use it on this if you really want to see the, the movie. Uh, yeah, box office uh, opening weekend uh, looks like $41 million in the U.S. and Canada. Which, given uh, it had a simultaneous release on HBO, is pretty impressive, right? Like... Yep. We don't know what those HBO numbers translate to or how uh, uh, internally they would go in. I do have a number here. According to Samba TV, uh, 1.9 million households opening weekend. Right. But I don't know how you translate that to like opening oh, day to, box yeah, office sales. dollars, right? Like yeah. what, what, what percentage of a ticket sale is each household that watched it, right? I have no sure. – that I don't know. Um it did, I mean, it did well enough, right? Um, it's at $293 million worldwide. No, $293 million worldwide, to be clear. Um, it's successful. And I honestly, I, I, don't, I, I hope I'm not jumping the gun by getting to a score here. But uh, I almost want to just give it a DNF. Like, it didn't complete the course. This isn't a full film. It no, it has to know that it's not a full film, right? But Everything that's the about it. With it. It's, it doesn't. And I. Uh, but that that is entirely the problem with it. That is entirely the problem with it as a first introduction to a, a large generation of fans into the universe, and to try and sell a second movie. If your entire intention is to sell me on a second movie, there's this like theory in culinary science and and you know, about appetizers and about aperitifs. I, I've really gotten into cocktails, so I'll, I'll come from the cocktail angle. Aperitifs, they are supposed to be kind of bitter, kind of dry, and get your, your, your appetite going. It's supposed to wet your mouth, and that's why they tend to be a little bit bitter and a little bit sour and, and kind of pucker your mouth a little bit, uh, like a Campari, because it's supposed to get your mouth salivating at the thought of your meal, of what you are going to be enjoying here, you know, in 20 minutes when the, the first course comes out or whatever. And a lot of movies do a really great job. I'm going to fall back on the Fellowship of the Rings comparison, because the entire time that is what I was comparing this to... And the Fellowship of the Ring was a nice introduction to the setting, introduction to the character, the motives. Things happen, but they also take the time to set everything up for your, your, you know, your first course, your second course, your, your main course of Twin Towers. And then you get that just amazing cake, that just, just massive, amazing cake that is Return of the King at the end, and you have a full meal right there. You, you wanted to see Twin Towers. You wanted to see Return of the King. You wanted to get to the end of that movie. For me, and I will understand that this is a for me 
from my point of view, my opinion, although I will say from some of the reviews that I did look up after I watched the movie, the critics that didn't like it kind of agree with me. It's slow, it's boring, it's missing parts that, you know, from what I read. This movie is if someone served you a glass of mineral water, but it's in a really, it's really nice crystal glass. There's, you know, there's a, a, a lime wheel on the edge of it. You do see just a little bit of kind of like a little bit of lime juice, uh, of lemon juice sitting in the water. You kind of, it's very just crystal clear to look through. It has a nice aroma. It's very pleasant visually and, and in your nose and everything. But then when you drink it, it's still a glass of water. And that does nothing to suck you in and prepare you for your appetizer, for your, your salad course, your cheese course, your main course, whatever's coming next. A glass of water at the end of the day is just a glass of water. And you can get that anywhere. And it doesn't matter how many fruits you pile around the rim. It doesn't matter how big or, or gaudy a glass or a goblet they give it to you in. It's still a glass of water. And it's not like it's such a refreshing glass of water, Doom, that I want to go back and get another glass. This isn't No Time to Die, where the second I finished it, I'm like, cool, I want to watch this movie again. It was so just, I don't, off-putting to me that now I don't want to eat the main course. Now I don't trust the chef. And that's... I really don't want to say that's a criticism of Villanueva because I like his other movies. I like Blade Runner 2049. I like Sicario. But I don't want to see part two as it's being presented to me right now. And maybe in two years when they release a trailer for it and it's going to come out and you know on the silver screen and hopefully on HBO Max again because that's the only way I would see it when it debuts... Maybe they give me a trailer, and just as I'm walking out the door, I catch a sniff of something. And maybe that's what convinces me to come back. But as I stand right now, here today, as we are recording on November 2nd, I do not care about this... this I do not care about the characters. I do not care about the rest of the story of Paul and Jessica Atreides. I don't care. And I'm not clamoring to see the end of that story. Maybe I'll pick up the Doom tabletop game, and maybe that'll be interesting. Or maybe if some sort of open-world Doom-inspired video game comes out next year, maybe I'll be interested in that. But I do not care about the story that they are telling at this time. And to me, that's the greatest, the greatest sin a movie can accomplish, is when you leave, you just don't care. I think it is very apt that you made your final thoughts on dune uh, a water analogy because <laughs> i mean for so many reasons obviously I, I and i will say this uh you know what films tend to do well as like part one part two they're films and franchises where like you already know people are invested because everyone already knows what's happening right you look at infinity war you look at Deathly Hallows, you look at uh, the Hunger Games trilogy, the last book being split up, Twilight, whichever one you pick, right? When you do a part one and a part two, it's for films and franchises that have already been established 
such that you you didn't have to spend like god it tries to do all of it it tries to do everything in one film which is why it's so long and it just assumes that you're going to stick around because you want answers right you want you want to know how all this stuff fits um you I, I understand, uh, don't really have much in interest to see how much it fits. This film frustrates me because I do. I do want to see how this fits. But I hate that it is making me wait two years, at minimum, to get answers to questions that should have been here the first time. Ugh. I, I think that's reasonable, and I think I think it's good that we can have differing opinions on where we eventually come down on it. Like, life is a spectrum of things. We agree on a lot of the issues that we have with this movie, and at the end, you know, you're more willing to go and see what the end journey of this is, and I'm willing to stay at the tavern and have something else nicer to... to to drink than what was presented to me. Uh, you gave us your score of a DNF uh, earlier. Um, as is custom, I am going to give it one working clamp on the escape blimp out of four. <laughs> uh, yeah, that tracks. Now that scans. Uh, and that was Dune. Um, I really wish I could see what other people have seen in in this movie. Uh, Golden Glue just tweeted about it, and I happened to see it on my Twitter, and he said it was a masterpiece. And I, I really wish I could understand or see what other people uh, see in it. I but can't I wait. can't bring myself to watch it again. You lovely listeners will have to add us with all of your thoughts <laughs> because I know we are in the minority on this. I'm paying attention to the discourse. I don't think... I, I do believe in like three months when Dune gets a Best Picture nomination, people like us are going to start being more of a thing. But right now... I have not seen any film with the almost unanimous praise that this has gotten basically ever. So if you'd like to tell us why we're wrong, I mean, you could find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter uh, and you could find the pod at Rough Drafts Pod. Uh, go yell at us there. Where can the nice people at home yell at you, Walter? <laughs> you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. And honestly, like I, I told Chase before we started recording the minute I finished watching this, I wanted to talk about it with him. One, because I actually like thought you were going to like it for some reason. I just kind of like, I remembered the tweet, the, the text you, that you had sent me and I was like, oh, I bet Chase likes this film. And after I saw it, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be, this is going to be an interesting podcast and discussion. And I was pleasantly surprised when you kind of came down on the side, inside that I did. Uh, but yeah, Tweet at us, message us, let us know your thoughts. Um, it's nice to have a film that we kind of are so polar opposite with the rest of the world. It, you know, it leads to some interesting conversation. Um, and honestly, I, that's all I have left to say. I'm kind of out of words. Uh, we'll see you again in two weeks for our next foray into Hollywood and see what comes out of the hat. And until next time, goodbye, Internet.